That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Fobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. David Miller here, and I got my co-host, Michelle Pobega, ND, laughing already. Yeah, because I thought of a stellar title for this podcast. And the long we... and the short of it. Yeah, a hairy situation. The long and the short of it. We're going to talk about hair. Yeah. What are we going to talk about? Specifically hair loss. Yeah, hair loss. I find that, and the reason I brought this up as a as a possible topic to discuss on the podcast is because I find a lot of patients complain about this and they're perplexed as to why or they mostly women right mostly well I mean we are treating mostly women or at least I am and a lot of women are complaining about hair loss and they'll come to me and be like my my hairdressers even commented they told me to take these supplements they told me to use change my hair conditioner I went to my doctor they didn't find anything wrong um or women are being like, I feel like I take a shower and when I'm washing my hair, it's like coming out in clumps. Like that's kind of like there's bunches of it that's coming out or every time I brush my hair, there's so much coming out. That's the typical complaint that I have. Um, it's not always specific to like diffuse, like it's not always specific to like clumps of hair in a patch like alopecia, but I find it's more the main or most common complaint is just diffuse hair loss and thinning or women feeling like they're losing more hair than they used to whenever they, they run their fingers through their hair or something. And I think that there's a few reasons why this might be more common in women than in men. I think men, like you alluded to, is like, I think there's maybe more of an acceptance of maybe like some receding hairlines or male pattern baldness because of testosterone or like different things like that. It's just more accepted where women, we are a little bit more about beauty standards and our hair is like a big part of like our, you know, aesthetic and identity in that, in that sense. So maybe we're more focused on it, but I think women might notice more of it because we have longer hair. So like I noticed a huge difference from when my hair was super short to when it's long. And when my hair was short, it didn't feel like I was losing as much hair. When my hair is long, it feels like more because there's, there's more mass in your hand when you run your fingers through because the length of the hair takes up more space. So it felt, feels more dramatic when my hair is long. And I just wanted to put that perspective out there that Sometimes it's it's a little bit deceiving. Yeah, like the, the majority of uh, the information I'm bringing today uh, is for women's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like a lot of related to what you said is that I, I, mm-hmm. I do think it's a little bit more. I mean, I don't even know what you can say anymore. <sighs> it's probably a little bit more socio-culturally accepted for those who identify as biological males to uh, deal with, you know, higher levels of DHT, testosterone uh, metabolite, which leads to 
thinning and balding male pattern baldness, which is a little different when you get into the uh, granular details. Um, and yeah, like you said, I think, again, for those who identify as women, I think beauty standards are, you could say they're unfair, but they're definitely a little different. And yeah. uh, hence the important socioculturally to it. I, one of the last things I, I wrote on my notes here, hmm. uh, the, for the nerds here, this is PubMed ID 26375223. That's a Brazilian dermatology uh, article from 2015. Um, this is this was crazy. Uh, they said, in, the, in a study conducted in Brazil in 2012, the fear of losing all the hairs was as great as the fear of developing a myocardial infarction. Hair is a big part of identity, man. My God, that's, I mean, what does that tells you? That tells you a lot in one little thing. The, the also, like, think about this. Like, there are some people, like, maybe more predominantly women, I think, that get very stressed out having to cut their hair. Like, it's an emotional response when you have to cut off your hair. There are people who have this huge attachment to that part of themselves. So I understand when something starts to change and you feel like you're losing more, that can feel a little bit unsettling for some people. I know people who have had the same haircut for years. And then there's people like me who I'll just do anything. Cause I just feel like a hair is an extension of my identity and I'll change it however I want. But if I had like diffuse hair loss and I had alopecia, I would probably be like hypersensitive to that, to be honest. I think, you know, I, I might be, <clears throat> again, I don't know what we can say anymore, but I, I, my perceptions that I'm sort of conveying here based on like, let's say, predominantly western yeah i think it's worth saying that the hair has different kind of symbolism and meaning in different uh cultures religions 100 i can think of at least the six uh, sikh or sick uh yeah religion and uh perhaps like some um aboriginal uh yeah hmm. so so again I'm, I'm saying i don't know everything about every culture i hope that's okay yeah. i'm sort of i just grew up in this culture so a lot of when i talk about socio-cultural would be uh heavily yeah. influenced by what this i is, grew up this in. is this is going to be also based on the type of people we come to see us so people who are living in western civilization and not western civilization in the western world in north america coming to our office yeah. living living a lifestyle that is driven by you know, North American culture. Yeah. Um, exactly. yeah. Um, that gets us in the clear enough <clears throat> to sort of go on and speak with, um, with what we have here. Yeah. So basically hair loss is actually a part of what is supposed to happen on a regular basis. It's estimated that if, uh, between a 50 to a hundred a day. So again, if you have long hair, a hundred is going to feel different than someone who has like razor cut hair. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to feel different. You're not going to notice yeah, yeah. it when it's short versus when it's long. Um, and there are, so according to some people, there's four stages of hair growth. And then some people say three. And when it comes to the four, it's almost like that last phase, the telogen phase is broken up into two. There's a slight resting phase. And then there's a shedding phase, according to some of the other standards. So there's an anagen phase, a catagen phase, a telogen, and then an exogen phase, if you're considering that fourth phase. Um, and they all have their own timelines that are going to be affected by like age, nutrition, overall health. So like these can be shifted. Um, how long your, how long a hair follicle is in a certain stage could be very influenced by 
your overall health status, your nutritional status, your age status. So that's why things change. Your hair growth is going to be different at the age of 50 than it was at age of like 14. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's, I think it's important to understand too, at the beginning, like when I, when I started to read this paper, they said, look, like mm -hmm. pathogenesis is not yet fully understood, which is mm -hmm. very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, 2020, well, this, the, mm -hmm. the articles from 2015, I don't, they've made massive inroads since then, but like, we don't really know everything no. about this, this uh, thing. I did want to say the one, because, uh, because we are targeting it more towards uh, female. mostly female. Yeah. <clears throat> There's this sign uh, uh, that is is you know you you talked to, you can do like the you can do like dermo, uh, dermoscope and a whole bunch of other the pull test or Sabroth sign, but one one simple way of looking at it um, you know to think do you have this or do you not have this female pattern hair loss is just dividing the hair down the middle and the dividing line just gets more apparent as the severity uh, the part yeah yeah the part down the middle. Um, that's because that's one of the areas in which, uh, there's a lot of, um, a lot more hair loss. It seems to be in the, uh, frontal, uh, uh, temporal, uh, parietal. So this is sort of like the middle and just off the side, off to the sides of the head, more at the front. Um, that's where you're going to notice more of the, the problems. And, and that's one way of differentiating female pattern hair loss from like alopecia areata or other types, right. because if, if you did the pull test, it's only going to be positive in areas where uh, female pattern hair loss actually occurs more often. It's not going to happen, say, in the occipital region mm -hmm. at, the, at the back. So that's mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. That's just and another one that you might notice is your your ponytail. Um, yeah, that's that's another sort of sign. Like if you if you just uh, you know if you have to keep um, the ponytail becomes loose or it's necessary to pull the hair more often through it. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's just that's like a ponytail sign we could call it. Yeah. So there was like, there's a few different types of pattern. So like male pattern baldness, where it tends to be more receding hairline or a thinning at the crown of the head, like at the apex of the head, like that baldness, that bald spot um, with female pattern baldness, like you were saying, it could just be diffuse thinning. But like, I think one of the big things that women complain about or notice is again, that part in their hair and it feeling like it's getting bigger. Yeah. Um, that is a big one. Or um, with just more diffuse hair loss that tends to be, I think. And then there's like, like you said, alopecia areata, um, or alopecia, which is more autoimmune where it's coming in like more specific patches. Like it's a clump and then you could literally see the scalp and it's in a very isolated area and it might be in more than one spot, but they're like, they're like these like, like areas that have been sparse with hair and you can see more scalp specifically but that's more autoimmune driven. And then just diffuse hair loss, I find is the most common complaint where people, like I said, are just feeling like they take a shower and more hair comes out when they're wish washing their hair um, or there's more breakage or just a generalized thinning. And like mm -hmm. you alluded to the specific areas for women is gonna be more like you said, temporal and like along that front area. Yeah, central frontal parietal. If you like your anatomy, it's central mm -hmm. frontal parietal mm -hmm. scalp mm -hmm. region. Mm -hmm. So- really quickly about the growth stages of the hair before we get into like why things go sideways for people's hair growth. So the antigen phase is kind of known as the growth phase and it's the longest. It could be three to five years, but for some people like a single hair can grow for seven years, which is maybe how Crystal Gale got her hair all the way down to her ankles at some point. Cause I never understood how that happens. I um, believe how long that is. It's eight years. Yeah. I, I read eight years. 
Yeah. Okay. So long I had time. seven. So still, that's still a long time. Yeah. Um, and it can differ based on the type of hair. So obviously like the hair on your head, the duration of like being in the antigen phase can be different versus an eyelash hair. So, so that's, there's gonna be differences from that, but this is where most of the hair on our head is basically like it's in an antigen phase. It's in a growth phase. And then we have, um, a catagen phase. Um, and this is like the transition phase. They say that this is maybe like 10 or so days. Did you find the same thing? Yeah. It's, it's a short phase. And then it's basically it's, uh, the follicle shrinks, the hair follicle shrinks and the hair actually separates from the follicle, but it doesn't actually leave. It doesn't actually like shed. It just kind of stays in like this stagnant state. Which do you say catagen or which catagen phase? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Two and three weeks is what they said in this. Okay. Article. Yeah. So, so mine said about 10 days or so. So I don't know. I well, again, guess close. That would, same. Yeah. Um, and then again, like the hair separates from the follicle, but remains in place. And then, then there's the telogen phase. And like, I found something that separated into two. So it says telogen is the resting phase. And this could be up to three months where the hair doesn't grow, but it doesn't necessarily fall out. And then there's a subsection of the telogen phase, which is called the exogen phase, where this is the actual shedding phase where hair actually comes out from the scalp. And this could be facilitated by like brushing or hair washing and that, that particular hair follicle could, or this could be like a two to five month process. Um, but yeah, but all hair growth is driven by like stem cells um, within the hair follicles. And then there is a very interesting, you know how we have like the HPA axis. There's also like a cortico adrenal cortico hair axis where it affects the stem cells as well. So we'll talk about stress yeah, later, but it's that. interesting. Yeah, I found it in some like Harvard study. So did you say that in female pattern hair loss, there's a reduction in the duration of the antigen phase? Is that what you, is that what you said? Or did we not um, say that yet? I didn't necessarily say that. Yeah, that's uh, what no. they say, which makes sense because you've got, you know, years compared to a couple weeks in terms yeah. of comparing antigen to catagen. So it's the antigen phase, which is affected um, primarily in female pattern hair loss. And another interesting sort of comparison to the, to male pattern hair loss mm -hmm. is that what they do have in common is that there is a, a miniaturization of the dermal papilla and, and follicle. That's the end result of both male and female. However, the things that lead to that end result are a little bit different, which is why some of the um, the interventions for male pattern hair loss do not work mm -hmm. or don't work as well, like uh, androgen blocking uh, uh, drugs, like finasteride and stuff, don't work right. or don't work as well in women. So interesting that the end result is the same, but a different route to getting there. Mm -hmm. I mean, because like, if we're talking male pattern, pattern hair loss, it's really like DH, DHEA and testosterone that affects the hair growth. And in female pattern hair loss. Sorry, that was DHT is the sorry, sorry, DHEA DHT. is going to. Yeah, you're, sorry, no, you're right. It's probably part of it. But in terms of like the hardcore. No, I think I said D, it wrong. Yeah. DH, uh, uh, dihydrogy. Yeah, sorry. Hydroxy. Yeah. And, and testosterone. Those are going to be driving more yeah. male pattern baldness. However, the most common cause of female hair pattern hair loss that's more hormonally driven is often PCOS, which is yeah, insulin right? resistant, but that also affects your testosterone levels, which exactly. then has a similar effect there, but it's not going to be treated the same way because it's, you have to treat the insulin resistance, which 
has a myriad of reasons as to why, like, is it a gut microbiome thing? Is it like a poor liver function thing? And there's a dietary thing. There's, there's a lot of stuff that's going to drive PCOS and it's not always insulin driven. Like there are some non-classical PCOS as well. So, um, that, that, that's, bit more of the differentiating factor. Like it's not a testosterone problem. You have to dig deeper when it comes to female uh -huh. pattern hair baldness. I think I find it uh, hard to, you know, to underemphasize how important it looks like insulin resistance. Maybe if yeah. you're looking at like a first, okay, what, what you're looking at your patient and they've got the female pattern hair loss down the middle, more, you know, middle top and just off to the sides, parietal region. Okay. They say things are fall, their hairs are falling out like mm -hmm. in way more. Uh, if you start to ask some questions and maybe they're overweight or, or obese and, and you start to do some investigations of insulin, uh, cholesterol mm -hmm. and, and that, and then you go, oh, they got the earlobe crease and they got a history of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. You're going, you know what, dear patient, we, we can try and help this hair, but it, it really is about your metabolic health here. And uh, there was a study done in Taiwan uh, with uh, female pattern hair loss being an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease mortality. So it's, mm. that's, that's funny. Um, not funny. haha, ha, But like interesting. Mm -hmm. um, hazard ratio 2.3 and diabetes mellitus hazard ratio 3.0. Um, so funny that we talked earlier about how the 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 threat of hair loss in a in a woman can can induce uh, enough sort of fear that it's equal to a myocardial infarction and and it is a cardiovascular disease <laughs> mortality it's, risk it's a risk factor yeah <clears throat> but i think that also just so so you having that train of thought just made me want to reiterate something really important about why I wanted to bring this discussion to light is that hair loss is not the problem. Hair loss is a symptom and it's usually a, a reaction because your body is compromised in some other way. Right? So in order to address hair loss properly, you need to, it's not a hair thing. We don't just give you something topical for your hair. We don't just give you biotin or a collagen pill. Although for some people that might make a difference, but it's still not really addressing the real problem. Um, to address hair loss, you need a good health history you need a good timeline. You need to understand what's happened in this person's life. You need to understand how their digestion is. Are they absorbing nutrients? Are there any deficiencies? Is there inflammation? Is there an underlying autoimmune condition? Is there an iron deficiency? Is there a thyroid problem? Is there a gluten sensitivity? Are there hormones? Like there's a lot of stuff as to why hair loss can be a problem, which is why it's a symptom. It's not the problem. Even though it feels problematic for you on a personal level, it's not really the real underlying problem. And I find I have to remind a lot of clients about this. And I tell them, if your body's in a compromised state and your body's basically always trying to keep you alive, it's going to prioritize supporting the vital organs, like your brain, your lungs, your heart, the things that keep you alive. Your hair, it's not a big deal when it comes to survival. So if your body is in a compromised state and has to make some choices and reprioritize where its nutrients and energy and, and efforts go to hair is last on the totem pole. So it's going to suffer. It. I'm glad you said it. Um, but you're mm -hmm. right. Yeah. There's a bit of a higher hierarchy there. Absolutely. And I think that we forget that we mm -hmm. always focus on the end result rather than what got us there in the first place or what led to this and uh thyroid is a, is a, is a big one that leads to a lot of hair loss. But then I'm always like, but what caused the thyroid to go wonky too? 
So it's still yeah. deeper. It's not just a thyroid problem because your thyroid's modulatory. It's meant to react and adjust and modify its activity based on other factors. And if it's overwhelmed by all these other factors, it's not going to do the job well. Well, let's so go that, deeper with the thyroid in, in terms of one possibility. If the, Okay, if your thyroid's off, guess what you need for your thyroid to work? Well, you need iron for your thyroid yeah. to work. And you need your gut ferritin, bacteria to be happy. Low ferritin mm. is associated with uh, issues with female pattern hair loss. It's not a, yeah. it's not a, it's not a binary yay or nay. It's, it's, but it's associated. And I think the, the values of under 20 or 30, mm. um, is it picamoles or is it an animal? I forget what it is, the units for ferritin. Um, but anyways, it's 20 or 30 on your blood test, mm -hmm. um, is associated with problems, uh, with, uh, this female pattern hair loss. And then we can keep going and we go, you know, what else, uh, is associated with maybe low iron is low stomach acid function. And therefore mm -hmm. you have compromised absorption of protein, as you said, I don't know if you said it to me before or, or during the podcast here, but you know, you're going to have to need protein to, you're going to have to have a little bit of a excess of the bare minimum uh, amount of protein to make hair because mm -hmm. like you said there's a hierarchy and so to mm. absorb the uh, adequate protein you need adequate stomach acid and guess what yeah. stomach acid and h pylori could be uh uh li linked to hypothyroid disease because h pylori is highly associated with uh, autoimmune thyroid conditions so you see yeah. you you come in for the hair but it's it could be something else and then I would even go lower into the gastrointestinal tract. Your liver and your gallbladder play a very vital role in the conversion of T4 to T3 and thyroid function. Your gut microbiome plays a pivotal role in thyroid function. If you have an autoimmune condition, I mean, like if I'm being, if I want to speak hundred percent candidly, a lot Please of, do. a lot of people, refreshing. Thyroid, hmm, I never do. I never speak my mind. A lot of thyroid conditions are going undiagnosed. Yep. And it doesn't mean it's textbook classic hypothyroidism where your numbers are off the charts for your TSH. You could have subclinical hypothyroidism. That is a that is a legitimate diagnosis. Your body may not be converting T4 to T3 adequately, maybe because it doesn't have the micronutrients to do that. You need selenium, you need iodine, you need iron to enable that conversion. So a lot of people are, are are kind of floating under the radar in your standard lab test. If your doctor's only running TSH, first of all, he's not running a very thorough uh, examination of your thyroid function. And if they're also ignoring iron and B12 and they're they're not assessing whether or not you're sleeping well and what your stress levels are like and what and they're not possibly vitamin your gut. D I read too. Yeah. So so this is where hair loss because of thyroid function becomes an even deeper issue as to what caused the thyroid to become dysregulated in the first place. Um, and a lot of autoimmune thyroid, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is a really big deal. And it's not standard practice to run the antibodies for a lot of medical doctors, not until shit hits the fan severely enough for them to feel like they need to run it, but it's not a standard of practice. It is for me. I'm like, well, let's, we're just run a, Ontario, let's just run too, a full Michelle. panel. Yeah, not not in we're Ontario. in Ontario, and so doctors are often handcuffed by um, these kind of like, oh, if you run, T you have to run TSH well, first. I I I I I don't think it's an Ontario problem because I was literally listening to a functional medicine doctor in the states, and he was interviewing another functional medicine doctor from somewhere else in the states, and they're like. Most doctors don't do a thorough examination in conventional medicine. If you go to yeah. functional medicine, they are. And they yeah. compared it. And that's in the States as well. So it's not okay. an Ontario problem. 
I just know it is a problem here because of GP. I th- yeah. And, and <clears throat> if, it, if you're GP listening, then let me know if I'm wrong. But I think it you're not allowed to run autoimmune thyroid uh, antibody tests until you've done TSH and it has been shown to be off, which is unfortunate because just yesterday I had someone come in with autoimmune thyroid antibodies high and a pristine looking TSH because she yeah. may be on the way up or down with her t- her thyroid <laughs> stimulation hormone at that point in time. Yeah. just happens to be caught at the right time. But guess what? The antibodies are there. So I catch her at yeah. another time. It's going to be off. And that's just it. And it, and it also has to do with the signs and symptoms of how that person's experiencing exactly. their quality of life. Right. Anyways, um, not to get into a whole thyroid tangent, but that is a big part. And a lot of women are more prone to hypothyroidism. We are far more prone to thyroid dysregulation than men are. I don't know exactly what the science behind that is. I've never actually looked into it, but it is something that's more common in females. And that might be why we experience more hair issues aside from like also our hair identity vanity side of things. But, um, but yeah, that's a huge connection, the thyroid and, and that, and then you touched on a few things like ferritin ferritin's massive for iron. Yeah. You need to be able to deliver oxygen to the extremities. It's handy. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Get it. Right? Your hand, your hands. And ext- oh my God. That was, Oh, you're, you're on fuego terrible today. Sorry. That was terrible. But anyway, <laughs> Dad jokes. yeah, you're right. And then, and then there's other environmental factors. I saw, I just rhyme them off because mm-hmm. um, that's what the, the paper says. Look, there's these mm-hmm. other environmental factors, which we know are part, but it's not, again, it's not like a binary. If you have this, you have that. Right. But testosterone levels are an, are a contributor. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's probably going to be related to maybe insulin resistance, PCOS, mm-hmm. um, psychological stress. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. Hypertension. So cardiovascular uh, disease, diabetes, mellitus, again, cardiovascular disease, smoking, probably you're thinking cardiovascular disease, uh, multiple miscarriages, which is maybe related to PCOS, mm-hmm. um, lack of photoprotection. Uh, I mean, I don't know what they're going for there. Maybe you just don't have enough antioxidants in the area. Higher hmm. income. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you could you could infer maybe that higher income is related to the diseases of affluence, which usually involve overnutrition. And that brings us back to maybe PCOS and stomach mm-hmm. issues. Uh, more <clears throat> Alcohol, so than more the, alcohol consumption, things like that. Which go along with having higher income usually. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, and then little physical activity, again, diseases of affluence, people working in the Western mm-hmm. world often just there's people who are like hypervigilant, it seems like now about exercise or just not uh, doing it all. I want to go yeah. back to psychological stress. Uh, I, had a, I had a guy, he's a kid to me, he's mm-hmm. a kid because he's like 31. Um, but yeah, he's losing a whole bunch of hair. Hair is changing color on his face. Uh, his, his facial hair is losing its uh, its pigmentation. And, uh, honestly, I, I, uh, he, it's psychological stress, I think is what's going on in, in his case. Um, and I, I said, look, we can run some labs, but I don't think I got a supplement for you here, brother. Yeah. Um, and, and I won't, I won't say too much more because, you know, we have to protect our people, but really just, I, it was very clear that this guy's not living where he wants to be doing what he wants to do. And the body is saying no. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, I was reading something where it talked about how stress will also lead to premature hair loss. Um, So there's a few different things that, that where stress might be evolved, like telogen effluvia, where your hair is pushed into the exogen phase, like that shedding phase, and it can triple your hair loss. 
uh, trichotillomania, which is a psychological disorder where you're also pulling your hair and that's a stress thing. And then alopecia areata immune condition, because stress is always going to exacerbate an autoimmune condition as well. But there was some Harvard research done that found that uh, it was mostly done on mice, but chronic stress will affect hair follicle stem cells and keep them in the resting phase for a very long time without regenerating tissues. So this is where they started to look at that adrenal hair follicle access, or they they, they mentioned it in, in this Harvard uh, oh, thing that I looked at and how um, by exposing these mice to cortisol or a version of cortisol actually began to shunt them into that resting phase or that telogen phase. Um, so, so stress will have a direct impact. So, you know, sometimes it might be, you might not necessarily feel the immediate effects of that though, because the stressful event itself, the aftermath, the biochemical aftermath of that might take months to recover from. And then your hair might, you might, I've had some people say, but the stressful event happened three months ago. Why am I shedding my hair now? And sometimes there's a delayed response because your body was probably in survival mode, probably rallied as best as it could for the immediate stress. And then it became a chronic stress if things weren't properly resolved. So, you know, think of things like a grieving period or a traumatic event, but most of this is temporary. If you're able to go in and resolve the stress, a lot of people are kind of just pushing through um, and not necessarily supporting their bodies stress recovery adequately. You know, uh, I think we're in a society where we're just expected to show up and push through regardless, just like, you know, postpartum, <laughs> it's a very stressful situation and women are just yeah. kind of be like, well, you just got to still just show up all the time and doesn't matter. Um, and you just kind of push through, like, that's just how this world operates. And then that perpetuates you being in a chronic state of stress for a longer period of time. <clears throat> so that's a big deal. And then you were talking about, um, influencing factors, but also, uh, think about women, your hairstyles and the chemicals we put on, it could be causing breakage. It could be damaging the hair. It might be leading to more disruptions in, in, in hair growth or ha hair quality and texture, but also some medications can also contribute to hair loss. And some of it could also include like the birth control pill or NSAIDs or acne medication. Yeah. And I did, I did <laughs> see someone recently, she said, uh, she changed shampoo or hair care products and it did make a difference, which, mm -hmm. I, you know, that's what everyone tries first. We always, well, not always, it seems like most people try outside in approaches first right. and it's topical. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, again, it, it's probably worth trying. Um, yeah. I mean, but usually I just people have tried that before they come to see us. <laughs> yeah. Usually they've already kind of gone through the gamut and the gauntlet of those things before that. You're right. Um, what else did I want to say? There was something else that I suppose sometimes there's also a genetic component and sometimes it's also aging because like so, hair, yeah, let, hair, let, hair growth also changes as you age. It slows down. Well, let's dissect those a little bit. Uh, so I, I looked at some of the gene, <laughs> the gene components and they've done a lot of work. It looks like different genes contribute to the problem in men versus women. Mm -hmm. um, the one, the one gene that they seem to have some correlation with is the the aromatase. There's a SNP for aromatase, yeah, in women. So you can see how um, and hyperandrogenism is a factor, uh, not the only factor, but a factor in some women. And yeah. maybe in those women, it's the ones that have uh, the single nucleotide uh, polymorphism or SNP 
uh, in that case. And then, um, but really they, they looked at the genes and they're, you know, they always want to look at genes uh, because it, you know, feels like binary and and definite, but it's, it it doesn't seem like it was. And then what, what was the next thing you said? The other Um, thing was just like aging. There's aging. Yes. There's, there's, there's a slowing down of, 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 of growth as we age as well. There's just a, yeah, just, I think there's a natural decline, just like a lot of other things. We don't make digestive juices as well. We're not going to stimulate yeah. things just slow down. Well, then, so, so th- I, I, I read that there was, uh, there's very few, but some do have uh, pu- pubert, uh, pubertal or like around puberty, uh, uh, female pattern hair loss. It's, it's not very common, but it does happen. It looks like the majority of female pattern hair loss happens in uh, during reproductive years. Let's let's say up to um, mm-hmm. I think what did they say up to? Uh, I forget what the numbers were. They said reproductive years. Its onset is generally during reproductive years. However, mm-hmm. there is a second peak of incidence at menopause, which again shows that there is a factor related to hormones. It's not mm-hmm. the only one, but between mm-hmm. fifty and sixty in most people's. Uh, uh, case there seems to be another uh, peak incidence that happens so if you didn't get it maybe in you know when you're 40 30 40 it might happen uh, when menopause starts to kick in a little bit more I think any kind of more pronounced hormonal fluctuation can also lead to hair loss so um, going through fertility tests if we're like fertility cycles and going through those hormone stuff and that's also a very stressful time for some for some couples that could lead to maybe some hormonal changes or hair loss but becoming pregnant some people find that they might the, the hormones do crazy things like women are like my hair was curly before I got pregnant and then after my baby was born my hair was straight like there's wild things that happen with hormone fluctuations oh, yeah. but giving birth and then the recovery from 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 pregnancy when you are probably in a adrenally compromised state because you're kind of like running on fumes taking care of a dependent and not sleeping well and then your thyroid goes monkey and or your thyroid could have to be compromised because of that and then the hair loss and might iron deficient to show up. And iron deficient, and... you might not be eating well like like there's a lot of things for that yeah. and then also even like you also alluded to is just entering menopause like these larger cha- hormonal fluctuations have a have a pretty good impact on on women as well and it doesn't always mean there's gonna be hair loss like there might be just other changes to hair pattern growth or quality as well but hormones are hormones are a pretty big deal And then there's also just like an autoimmune condition, like we said, like alopecia. And there's various types. But if this is it, this is typically more like that clumps where there's like an actual patch of hair that's visible with with the skin or the scalp underneath. If this is autoimmune, that just goes back to everything else Dave and I were talking about. What's your stomach acid lice? What's your stress like? Yeah. What's your what's your food sensitivities? Do you have a celiac? Do you have a gluten intolerance or a celiac disease? Is there digestive issues? Are you detoxing? Are they heavy metals? Are there pathogens? Because that's just going to make your autoimmune condition worse. So it's never a hair thing when it comes to that. But uh, but yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I got to talk about inflammation just a little mm-hmm. bit too. There's like a uh, with the miniaturization process of the follicle, uh, it seems to be accompanied by, they say, mild to moderate lymphohistiotic, uh, sorry, lymphohistiocytic uh, inflammatory infiltrate. So basically what they're saying, there's like a localized kind of inflammation going on, mm-hmm. micro inflammation, which can be uh, 
assessed and and uh, looked at by uh, by a, a dermatologist. If, but I don't hear of many people getting the, the this. No. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's no. just again. I'm coming from Ontario, so maybe I, what I see is not indicative of everything else. But I don't hear a lot of people getting like a really uh, in depth sort of uh, dermatologist uh, investigation with you know some kind of uh, cool tools which they do have access to. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so there's 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 other uh, external factors too. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about you know hair products and things like that, but the skin microbiota and uh, follicle may be affected by uh, different kinds of bacterium, like Propylobacterium species, Staphylococcus, Malassezia species, among others. So they could be part of the uh, induction or or uh, propagation of the microinflammation process. Which um, yeah, so maybe the outside in stuff is sometimes helpful. Don't they use some like what's that? Do they use like a antifungal sort of stuff? Like nizerol and stuff like those something types like of yeah, yeah. So maybe that's that are where antifungal. That, yeah, that melasesia uh, species Farber. comes in that yeah, sort of tinea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it, the, the, there's a time and a place for those topical things, and it's it's not that they're not going to be effective, but I also think that it's it's very much an inside job for most most things are an inside job and topicals can help perpetuate a positive result, but it's probably not going to get you exactly where you need to be, at least not for the majority of the population that we work mm-hmm. with at least. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's also going back to just nutritional stuff, nutritional deficiencies. So, oh, also, sorry, I'm all over the board today, um, but diet and hair loss. So diet and nutrition, if you are sensitive to gluten, even if you're not celiacs, that could lead to generalized inflammation that might make that microinflammation compounded. Like it could compound that, but there is a, uh, but it could just lead to just a chronic inflammatory condition or exacerbate your autoimmune condition. So what you're eating could very well be a contributing factor. It doesn't mean there's like a linear cause and effect, but it could be a contributing factor. Um, but also let's just say you do have a gluten sensitivity and that's causing leaky gut and intestinal permeability. Then you might not be absorbing nutrients effectively that would otherwise be affecting hair growth or hair loss. So what you eat has a substantial effect on, on, on your hair. Also your hair needs certain nutrients. So if you're eating the standard North American diet, you're probably not getting the basic needs met for, for just your whole body. And then there, and, uh, and then the hair as like the lowest, like bottom of the totem pole when it comes to like importance to keeping you alive. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we need to think about that. And then, um, like we were talking about before, protein, protein insufficiency or maldigestion or absorption or absorption of amino acids in the mm-hmm. gastrointestinal tract has a huge role in hair lo- in hair because your protein, sorry, your hair is keratin, which is a type of protein structure. Now I did, did read that ingesting keratin type products isn't going to necessarily help because your body still needs to break everything down into its individualized amino acids. And then it's going to resort it based on what it needs around the body. So adequate amino, adequate protein intake, but then again, back to stomach acid, making sure you can digest it and absorb it is wildly yeah, Break important. down the Lego pieces. That's it. Biotin is another nutrient. So I get a lot of people that come in and be like, oh, my hairdresser recommended I take biotin. Um, <laughs> and that's great. Um, and it could help. Um, but biotin is a really essential building block to make 
your collagen keratin type of protein structure that is your hair. But we actually make biotin in our gut and it's made by our gut bacteria. So again, going back to fostering healthy gut microbiome is going to be important for your body to create and then absorb the nutrients that are required for your body to show up the way you want it to. Another, um, another maybe note to build on top of that is that I had a patient this past week, um, who's doing great with the, uh, betaine HCL optimization Mm of, uh, stomach acid. She said her nails, her hair, skin and nails, or no, her nails stopped splitting. Mm. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, was it just from, uh, the betaine HCL. She like, no, I'd, I'd started using biotin, but yeah. upon further questioning, she had done biotin before and it did bupkis, did nothing. So what it appears to be is that biotin may, the, the, the beneficial effects of biotin may hinge or be dependent upon a proper stomach acid. So the combo might be really good because um, it seemed like the biotin without the stomach acid didn't do anything. The stomach acid mm-hmm. support didn't do it enough on its own, but then um, adding the biotin to yeah. sufficient stomach acid seemed to be really helpful for her. So hair, skin, yeah. nails. Biotin isn't so much going to be a reflection of hair growth, but it's going to be hair quality. So more brittle or or breakage is uh, brittle hair or breakage of hair and nails, like you alluded to with your client. That is definitely a biotin. Re- that could be a biotin insufficiency type of symptom. Um, but also there was a 2019 study in the journal of dermatology and therapy found insufficient intake of vitamin D or vitamin C and iron were found to be associated with, uh, proper hair growth. And then there was also shout outs to zinc, folic acid, and B12 as being connected to that as well. Yeah. So many of those hinge on, I'm sorry to say it, proper stomach function. Yeah. Um, and also just I'm, eating adequate nutrients, <laughs> like eat yeah, real exactly. food, guys, eat real food. <laughs> um, I wanted to say something for those that think more right-brained or in traditional systems. Um, there's blood deficiency in Chinese medicine mm-hmm. seems to be, there seems to be a very good relation um, to what's going on with hair loss. So if you, if you see hair loss and perhaps you think more in a traditional Chinese medicine frameworks, so look at the blood which nourishes the hair follicles in in a, in that traditional uh, perspective of of Chinese medicine. I, f- I find that when these traditional and and more deterministic Western um, investigations sort of overlap, it's very uh, it's cool. <laughs> it is cool. It's very cool, Dave. Um, I'm so- easily amused with that stuff, I guess. But um, yeah, it's like it's the. The trend seems to be a lot of the naturopathic or traditional stuff. We often get the concept right, but then it helps to sort of flesh out the details um, with some Western perspectives too. Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that pretty much sums up a lot of the things that you and I found when it comes to hair to support our audience in understanding that it's be it goes it mostly goes beyond hair, and your hair is a consequence of your body being in a compromised state in a deeper way, whether it's nutrient deficiencies, an autoimmune condition, thyroid dysregulation, or hormonal shifts or patterns or stress. That's the underlying cause, or those are the underlying causes. Those need to be sufficiently addressed. And then your hair will show up for you the way it's meant to. But I have nothing to add to that. That was a good end. Thanks so much, Michelle. You're welcome. Bye, everyone.